Good morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. We are starting our new series, More Than a Name, Jesus. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about Jesus. It's been over 2,000 years since he walked the planet, and uh, culture and, and time have eroded some of the, the, the truth, even, of who he is and what he's done. And we want to get back to some of that and really see Jesus as he really is. It's not just a name that we pray in, but as this real live person that walked the earth, that interacted with people. We're going to look at some encounters, and we're going to see that Jesus maybe isn't even who we thought that he was. That's going to surprise some of us. You know, a lot of people think of Jesus as kind of this little milk toast kind of guy that was just so nice to everybody. And, uh, you know, the, the thing is, that wasn't Jesus. Coming face to face with Jesus was kind of like coming face to face with a hurricane. You never forgot it. It, it. It's like right there in your face. And when you look at some of the things that Jesus said, especially to the establishment, to the religious leaders of his day, because he told them they're the ones that are always trying to keep people out of the He said, you're not getting in the kingdom and you're keeping everybody else out of the kingdom. And he wasn't happy with them. One time he called them a brood of vipers. They're sitting right over there. And he says, you brood of vipers. He, he, he said, you whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead men's bones on the inside. You look so beautiful on the outside and you do all these religious things. But inside it's death. He would go on and on and on and on. I, I mean, I was thinking about, you know, Donald Trump and his controversial tweets. I, I was probably a good thing that Jesus didn't have Twitter because... I don't know. I mean, his tweets, it might have been controversial. You know, people talking about what, wow, he's really. And, and you look at that and you think, really, Jesus? I want us to look at an encounter today that if you've been in church ever in your life, you've probably heard of this one. It's the woman at the well. And it's really, really familiar to us in so many ways. But in some ways, I kind of wish, and if you're here and you've never heard it before, great. Because you're going to be so shocked if you begin to even just think of it from the mindset that you've never heard it before and really hear it for uh, the first time, as if you're hearing it for the first time, it, it's going to shock you. It's the longest conversation that Jesus had with anybody recorded in scriptures. Now, he had some longer sermons and some things like that, like the Sermon on the Mount that he, that he preached that are recorded there. But this conversation is the longest one. And as you look at it, something becomes very obvious. Uh, someone said to me not too long ago, we just need to make the words of Jesus relevant again. And I just got to tell you, when I heard that, I thought the words of Jesus are so relevant already. We don't have to make them relevant. We just have to make them clear. In fact, they're going to be so relevant that we're going to go, I don't know if I want to do that or not. But they're relevant to us because you see even in these encounters 2,000 years ago we see ourselves human hopes dreams aspirations haven't changed over the years we're still worried about many of the same things dealing with a lot yeah we have a different technology but so much that's deep down in our heart is the same and we're going to see that and we're going to see the real Jesus so I want you to pull out your sermon notes for today I put some blanks there for you because I want us to see some incredible things about Jesus this morning. 
The first one is that Jesus always breaks down barriers. Write that down. Jesus always breaks down barriers. There's a triple surprise in these verses when you look at it. First is that a Jew would speak to a Samaritan. You see, the Samaritans were these hated people by the Jews because they thought of them as heretics. They, they thought of them as, it was kind of a racial thing because what had happened in uh, uh, several hundred years before when the Jewish people were conquered, they'd taken some off away and they left some there and they brought in other groups around them, the Gentiles or the pagans around them. And this group of Jews, because there were people, all, they intermarried with them, which was a big no-no to the Jews. And so, you know, they had over time kind of their Jewish lineage and heritage, their Jewish bloodline had kind of dropped down. And some of them were, you know, about as Jewish as Elizabeth Warren was Cherokee or something, you know. So it was like, you, you, you look at some of that, they just look at them and go, they're not, you know, they're not really, they're not Jews. They're, and, and we don't like them. And, and so... Um, they didn't, they didn't have any, they wouldn't even talk to them, the Jewish people. Second thing, that a man would speak to a woman he didn't know in public. Remember the situation we're in during this time. And sometimes we look at the Bible and we try to read it through our lens 2,000 years later. But if you can see it in context of when it was, it's amazing what Jesus does and what the Bible does. This was during the time that Plato wrote this, I thank the gods that I'm a Greek and not a barbarian. I thank the gods that I'm a free man and not a slave. And I thank the gods that I'm a man and not a woman. At this time in India, they believed that reincarnation, if you were a bad person, you would become a dog. If you were a really bad person, you would come back as a spider. And if you were an just awful person, you would come back as a woman. I'm just saying, that's, that's, in Judaism, most men, certainly all rabbis, would refuse to speak to women in public. They wouldn't even speak to their own wives or daughters in public. There was a group of rabbis, a group of Pharisees that, when they saw a woman in public, would just close their eyes, I guess, and pretend she wasn't there. I don't know what, but just, they called them the bruised, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees because they ran into stuff at shin level all the time. You can imagine with their eyes closed. But look what Jesus did, ladies. Jesus elevated women to their God-given place, their rightful place as equals. He spoke to this woman as an equal. People would have been stunned that this rabbi is even speaking to a woman. And to him, he was saying, I'm representing God. Let me show you how God, God created male and female. He created us together. And he sees us that way. And then, third, that a Jew would drink from a Samaritan's cup because they considered them unclean. Don't even get around them, you know? And this woman, actually, she was a shunned woman in her little village of Sychar because they considered her an immoral woman, even by Samaritan standards. And uh, Jesus reached out to her right where she was. And so he broke through every barrier. That's Jesus. 
So let's look at this. Let's think of it from her perspective. The water jar on her head, it's noon. She comes at noon. Usually the ladies come early in the morning or in the evening hours when it cools off. It's about 105 degrees probably right now outside of Sychar. The little well is about a half mile out and she comes walking down that way. Why does she come at noon? Because she doesn't have to hear the gossip of the other women. She doesn't have to have the other women shunning her or turning their backs to her. She's a Samaritan, so she knows racism. She's a woman, so she knows discrimination. She's been divorced five times. She's living with a guy right now that won't give her his name. In fact, she doesn't even want to risk marriage again. She's not going to risk hurting like that again. Her life has not been the Cinderella fantasy that she dreamed of as a, as a little girl. Some days it was all she could do just to put one foot in front of the other heading out to that well in the midday heat. And then she meets Jesus. So that brings me to number two. Jesus always arranges a divine appointment with all of us. We see that in the book of John chapter four. Um, I didn't put all of John four in here because it's just too much, but let me just read you a little bit and we'll get to our verse. It says, therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more people, more disciples than John, although Jesus himself wasn't baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, it's so interesting because Jesus is so different from our American mindset. All of a sudden, he's gotten really popular. Every, tens of thousands of people are coming out. So what does he do? He shuts it down and heads out of town, which is not what most American televangelists would do, right? Or, or really anybody in America that I know of. They would go, okay, let's you know, see if we can get more and more and more. That wasn't Jesus. But it says, as he left there, he had to pass through Samaria. And the thing is, the Jews never passed through Samaria. And that little word in the original language in the Greek, had to, it's a moral imperative. It's not the usual word that you would use. It's not saying like, it was a lot shorter, so he needed to go that way. It was, no, he had to. Deep inside of him, he knew he had to pass through Samaria. Why? Why this moral imperative? Why that little word? Because God's trying to call our attention to it. He's saying Jesus knew he had a divine appointment in Samaria. He was going to meet a woman at a well. And that's the thing about Jesus. He, uh, he always keeps his appointments and he has one with every single one of us on this planet. That's why no one before God is going to be able to say, I, I didn't know. Because Jesus is going to make sure there's some kind of opportunity. He's going to use a lot of us when he sends us out as missionaries around the globe. Some of you, you might feel like you're so far from God that he doesn't even know you exist, but you would be wrong. In fact, this morning is a divine appointment for you. Jesus has planned this from eternity past for you to be here. It's not accident or fate that you brave the rain and the changing temperature and all that stuff where others were looking out and going, oh, I think I'm gonna stay and worship at St. Mattress today, you know? So it's, it, it's you and Jesus, you're here. I think this divine appointment idea, that changes my prayers a lot 
when I'm praying for someone that's struggling. Like maybe you have a struggling son or daughter that's struggling with a lot of things about God or living the way that God would want them to. Ask God, Jesus, make a divine appointment with my son, with my daughter. You, you do this. I don't know how you're gonna do it, but do this. Another thing, number three, Jesus always understands what I'm going through. He always understands what I'm going through. It says in verse six of chapter four of John, and Jacob's well was there. It was about a half mile out of town. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. That word wearied, it means exhausted. Now here's an amazing thing. This God who is all energy, who never gets tired, it says in Isaiah, when he became a man, he experienced exhaustion. So he knows what that feels like. In fact, not only that, it's 105 degrees. He's been walking for a long, he's thirsty. Let me just read you a little bit more. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. What city? The little village of Sychar. It's about a half mile away. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Again, here's Jesus. He's exhausted and he's also thirsty. Give me a drink. This is amazing to me. The one who spoke Niagara into existence is thirsty. The one who holds the oceans in the cup of his hand is thirsty. What is God saying here to us in this? He's saying Jesus understands. Have you ever been through a really dark and difficult time and you try to share that with somebody that you care about only to realize they don't have a clue what you've been through. They don't have a clue. There's no way they can empathize. They don't understand. Some people really don't understand, but what the Bible is saying is Jesus does. Sometimes you find a person who's been through the same things that you've been through and it's almost like you have nothing else in common, but you just, it just seems like you're immediately you know, just like joined at the hip. You just get it. You get each other. Jesus is like that. Listen to what the Bible says about him. Since we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens from death into new life with God, let us hold tightly to our faith. Why should we hold tightly? For Jesus is not some high priest who has no sympathy for our weaknesses and flaws. He's already been tested in every way that we've been tested. He emerged victorious without failing God. So let us step boldly to the throne of grace where we can find mercy and grace to help when we need it most. You know, Jesus had a ministry for three years, but he spent 30 years before that. Why the 30 years? During the 30 years, he was experiencing all the same things that you and I experience. The Bible says really clearly, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. What are you going through this morning? He understands. Jesus understands. Do you, do you realize that, that God's not a million miles away, that he's right here? He has a divine appointment with you and he gets it. He knows. He understands. Number four, Jesus always answers our doubts by getting our eyes off of circumstances and continually bringing us back to who he is. Let me say that again. How he answers our doubts 
He gets our eyes off circumstances and brings us back to himself. So here's the Samaritan woman. She's come at noon. She doesn't want to hear the gossip. She's got her another man. She'll sleep with anybody. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink? Since I'm a Samaritan woman. And then look at verse 10 that's there. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do we get that? You get that living water. You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. It's so interesting, this woman, she's starting to figure out now that maybe Jesus is more than just your average guy. I mean, he's already kind of shocked her by even talking to her, but now she's starting to perceive that he's more than this. And he says, I want to give you living water and she looks at him for a minute and she says the well is 150 feet deep because it's a real deep well and you don't have any bucket you don't have any tools how how are you going to give me this water and you know I think she's a lot like us because we've come to realize so many of us that Jesus is God she's going to realize it by the time this is done where it starts out you know he's just a man then maybe he's a prophet then no he's God But there's still these times when there are things going on in our lives and we hear God say, maybe his word to us is, I want to do this amazing thing. And you're looking at it and go, I think that well's a little too deep, Lord. I'm looking at that and, you know, that addiction that I have is a little too deep for you. I don't know how, I I guess I'll just have to live with it. Or, Or that son or daughter of mine that's gotten away from you, that's, you say you want to bring them back, but that's just a little too, you see, We look at Jesus and he said, you don't have the tools. You don't have the resources. I don't see this happening. But look what Jesus always does. He keeps bringing it back to himself. If you knew who it was who was talking to you right now, you wouldn't be saying stuff like that. If you really understood that the God of the universe is face to face with you, you'd get your eyes off the circumstances because they're irrelevant to me because I'm all powerful. Listen to what she says. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Doesn't that kind of send a kind of a little shiver up your spine? Jesus going, I am God. That's who I am. Some critics say that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Bring him to this passage. He said it right there. In fact, it's so interesting how he said it. You'll see that the, the he in some of your English versions is italicized, which means it's not there. What he's saying is, I who speak to you, I am that I am. What was that? That was the great name of God given to Moses, Yahweh at the burning bush. God, who will I go back and say that you are? Tell them I am Yahweh. I am that I am. I'm the self-existing one who needs nothing else. I was always was. I always will be. I always 
am that I am. I'm in the present all the time. It's all the same to me. And that's what Jesus was saying. I'm the alpha. I'm the omega. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I'll have the last word. I'm God. She goes on. She goes, I can see. I mean, she's getting really confused now. But I can see that you're a prophet. What she's saying is there's something different about you. Do you mind if I ask you something? And then she proceeds to ask him some questions which basically boil down to where is God? Now, can you imagine? I bet Jesus' eyes, uh, they just danced at that point. And he's probably wanting to say, little daughter, he's a lot closer than you imagine. He's come all this way in 105 degree heat to find you at this well. He loves you. He cares about you. Little prodigal daughter, I'm here. And Jesus revealed himself for the very first time, not to King Herod, not to the religious leaders, not to, you know, some giant king somewhere and came and said, I'm king of the universe. He revealed himself for the very first time who he was to this woman at the well. It's so interesting to me. I am God. Verse five, I mean, number five. Jesus has always been the only one who can quench your deepest thirst. He's the only one. The water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus is saying, the deepest need that you have, that's me. See, a lot of us, we get caught up. You know, the disciples, they went into Sychar to buy food. They missed the whole, they missed everything. I mean, a whole bunch of people came to Jesus, we're going to find out from this lady, tell them the disciples didn't tell anyone about Jesus. They had just gone in to buy food. They were thinking about filling their tummy. And so they were sidetracked in the things of just the things, normal everyday things around them. And Jesus is moving and Jesus is working. I want you to imagine, what if you had a Sharpie that you carried with you everywhere? And it was one of those permanent markers and no one could ever erase it. And on anything that wasn't gonna last, that wasn't gonna fulfill you, you wrote, we'll thirst again. On the desk of that executive that's made it all the way to the top, your boss, you sneak in his office and write, we'll thirst again. Good way to lose your job. Um, <laughs> on every Apple product that you so oh, it's coming out, it's got, we'll thirst again, right? On the dating site, Tinder, swipe right and you're going to thirst again, right? You say, well, of course, because it's a secular site. So Christian Mangle, I mean Mingle, will thirst again. Amazon, not the river. You may be prime, but you will thirst again, right? On every Kardashian selfie, photoshopped to the extreme, will thirst again. On every cover of Vogue and Cosmo, National Enquirer and the Wall Street Journal, doesn't matter, will thirst again. He says, I'm a spring of water. I will become that. I will give this to you. She's intrigued. So she says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty. And he says something really just off the subject, it seems like completely. He says, go call your husband and come back. And she looks down at the dirt. Her heart must have sunk. Here was a a Jew who didn't care if she was a Samaritan. Here was a man who spoke to her as an equal, even though she was a woman. Here was the closest thing to gentleness maybe she'd ever seen in, in, in her whole life. And now he's asking her about that. 
anything but that. She must have considered lying, but she told the truth. There was something about Jesus' face that led her to believe it's safe to tell the truth. She said, I have no husband. You probably know the rest of the story. I kind of wish you didn't because you would be amazed if you were hearing it for the first time at what Jesus does next. Why? Because you've always wanted to do the same thing the woman did. You've wanted to drop the mask and let down your guard and be open and vulnerable. This woman wondered what Jesus would do. She must have wondered if the kindness would cease, if that smile on his face would drop down. He's going to leave just like my daddy did. He's going to leave just like my five husbands did. He's going to call me worthless like all the women of my little village call me worthless. If you've had the same anxieties, just remember Jesus' answer. What did he say? He said, you're right. You've had five husbands and the guy you live with now, he won't even give you his name. No criticism, no anger. But see, Jesus was going to this deep need of her heart. She obviously had been seeking to find that water that would quench her thirst in relationships. It's so much like us today. We think that relationship, that next one, that next thing, that's going to quench our thirst, but it never does. It's only God. It's this God-shaped hole inside of us. Even your husband, your wife, can't quench that. Can't can't deal with that. You know, uh, there, there's a, 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 like a secret affair website. It says, life is short, have an affair. That's the American mindset in the sense that it's like, you've got to grab all you can right now. But what it is, is just reaching it, emptiness. We're thirsty again. The woman, she was amazed. He didn't want perfection. He just wanted honesty and she thought she was so close to being a believer at this point but she was still hiding that and when that got out in the open see that's what sin is it's stuff that we hide God I'm kind of ashamed of this and God's going like I'm not ashamed of you I love you I see all of it already would you just pull it out of that dark corner of the closet and put it out here and we'll deal with it together that doesn't phase me you think he doesn't know about that He already knows, and he still loves you. It's so amazing that he's like that. Only someone who loves you can look at your past like that and not blink. She's so near the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus returns again and again to the central issue. If you just knew who I am, you would ask, and I would give you living water. That's salvation. It's so simple. If you just realize I'm right here, I have a divine appointment with you, I'm as alive as I've ever been, I'm God, I love you, I'm here. If you just ask me, I will give you eternal life. Just ask with a humble heart. Salvation is there for the asking. And don't miss the drama this moment. I mean, look at this woman, her eyes, she's amazed. You are God? You are God? It finally gets through to her after he tells her about her life and and prophesies over her of what she's done. And and she goes, you're God and you care about me and you met me here. And she runs back into the city. She forgets her water pot, her burden, 
her everyday stuff that has weighed her down for so long. She runs back into the city and she begins to grab people and say, come and see this man who told me everything that I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? Come and see. Number six, Jesus always seeks to help us see the world as he does. The disciples come back and all of these people are coming out of Sychar behind them. They look back and all these people are coming and he says to the disciples, you say there's four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're already white. He's looking at the people. You know, I was reading a blog the other day and it said America is at the brink of like civil war, hopeless, all of these different things. And we have all these different opinions and all these different things and some of us, we're so confused and we don't know where we are and we don't know what's going on and we're looking and saying, what is the future? Is it bleak? What does it look like? I'm telling you, God is on the throne. But here's the thing. He's looking at people. This is the most opportune time to share what Jesus has done for you that there's ever been probably in the history of America. People are unsure. People don't know what's happening. They, don't, they feel a fear inside. They don't know where this is going and God doesn't promise it's all gonna be rosy. He didn't say, and America will always be da-da-da-da-da, right? Civilizations come and civilizations go, but our God, he wants us to see. He says to the disciples, you, missed, you totally missed it. Look, look, this is what counts. This is what it looks like. We're so busy making a life that we miss what life is all about. It's about your coworkers. It's about your loved ones. It's about your neighbors. That's who Jesus sees. He always sees people. And so she goes in and she says, this guy told me everything I've ever done. Come and see. And they begin to come out to see Jesus. And here's what's really interesting. It says the men for the most part, came out. Why the men? I started thinking about it. It makes total sense now. She said, come and see someone who told me everything I've ever done. And they went, uh-oh. You, you and me back in the... Yeah. We better go check this guy out before the wife gets out there. Right? I mean, think about it. It was a great invitation. And then the thing, Jesus is there. And that brings me to the last thing. The invitation has always been so simple. And it hasn't changed. You see, you don't have to be some great orator to tell someone about Jesus and what he's done in your life. You don't have to be some kind of a lawyer and defend God and figure, you know, even if people have all kinds of doubts and they can't figure it out, you don't have to say anything. You just say what she said. Come and see. John 4, 29, come and see. That's what we've set community of faith up for. So your friends, your coworkers, your loved ones, all those around you. When was the last time you said come and see to someone that you care about at the office? Or does it matter that they don't know God or that their eternity might look like a Christless place? You know, a large study was done about why people didn't attend church and they were expecting all these amazing answers and surprisingly, sadly, they got one main answer back. Overwhelming majority of everyone in the whole study said, no one ever asked me. Wow. I see, I don't want those that you love one day 
to be standing before the great God. So there's going to be a judgment. Why didn't you? No one ever asked me. I want you to just close your eyes for a minute. Maybe you're the woman at the well and you thought Jesus, you know, he didn't even know your name. He does. He's here. He speaks it. If you could hear in the spirit realm, he's saying your name in love right now. In fact, it says he's going to give you a new name. He's going to give you an even better name that stands for who you are and what you're going to be. Just like he said, Peter, you're a rock. I'm making, I'm calling you Rocky. You're going to be a bedrock. He's saying something over you right now. Step into that. The other thing I want to ask you to do with your eyes closed, I want you to think of that person or that family that you just need to say, come and see. Just invite them. It's not your issue what they answer if they say no or whatever but these I'm talking about someone that doesn't go to church anywhere else that you know that you care about that you love just come and see when we first started community of faith a guy that would come and sit on the front row and he wasn't a believer he's still here at our church he is a believer now but he invited all of his golfing buddies over the next several months and all of them came into relationship with Christ and he still wasn't a believer yet. But he just kept saying, come and see. Something's going on. I could this be? Come and see. Father, I just ask that you would put a burden on our heart for our world around us. God, we've set everything up so simply that they could come to a community of faith and feel totally comfortable and totally at home and God, it's us at your church that has to say, come and see. So I ask that you would put that on our hearts. That they would answer yes. That you would open doors. That you would change lives. That we would see our workplace changed. Not because we stand up and preach at the water cooler, but because we just say, come and see. Come and, come and see. And God, I just ask that we would all allow you to be God to us today. Quit hiding the stuff you already see. We lay it out before you. Some of us are believers, but we've been looking at you and going like, that well's too deep. God, give us faith. Do what we need today. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God in and through us and let nothing stop the beautiful plans you have for us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.